celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is like my favorite day of the year. It's my favorite day of the year to talk because I get to talk about Jesus resurrecting from the dead. So this morning I have two Easter observations. Then I've got three points about the resurrection and then a conclusion. So you know, as I go, you'll know, those of you who are going to be counting down and can't wait till I'm done, you'll know where we are. And this is what I was going to talk about. This was going to be my whole Easter message. Sometime in around Christmas time, I was reading um, Luke's narrative about um, Jesus being born, and, and it's found in Luke, the second chapter, uh, is, is the most detail we get about the actual birth of Jesus. And I was reading it, and, and I, I read the whole chapter, and, and I, I read, if, after the Christmas narrative, then we jump to a scene where Jesus is 12 years old. And Walker referenced this um, I believe it was last Sunday, or, or the, yeah, I think, I think he referenced it last Sunday. He, uh, when Jesus was 12, he gets lost, right? It, it, the story goes like this. It says, every year Jesus' family went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And this particular year, they went with a bunch of people. And while they were there, they celebrated Passover, and then they left, and they got an entire day's journey away before they realized Jesus wasn't with them anymore. They did not win Parents of the Year that year. <laughs> they were runners-up. The Holy Family, that was the one year that they didn't get it. John the Baptist folks got it that year. It was the year they taught him to eat locusts and honey. No. But Jesus disappears. And the Scripture says he was gone for three days at Passover time. It was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen 21 years later. At Passover time, Jesus was going to go away for three days. And man, I, was, I had this message built all around that, about how that the first time um, he went missing, he was found in the temple, in his father's house. The next time he went missing, he was on the, cr he was, he was on the cross, and the God was in him, reconciling the world to himself. And then I was going to talk about how the first time, and I am talking about it, so I shouldn't say I was going to talk about it. The first time he submits to his parents, because if you read at the end of Luke 2, it says, but he went with his parents and he submitted unto them. The second time he submits to the will of the Father, and both times he's found. And now he's alive forevermore. So anyway, I was going to build my whole message around that, but I thought, well, I'd spent enough time on it. I was going to at least throw that out to you. That's a little nugget sometimes in Pentecostal sermons. You get little nuggets. They're not real points. You can't really call them points, but they kind of brush up against the point. And, and the preacher just likes to hear his own, the sound of his own voice anyway, so he'll just throw it out there. So there you go. There's one. And then, then here's another observation at Easter time. And I've preached it, and I've said it before. Over and over. But we always say that everybody deserted Jesus. Right? He says to his disciples at the Last Supper, soon you will all leave me. Soon you will all be offended because of me. Kill the shepherd, take the shepherd, the sheep scatter. And it's true, they, they, all the disciples did flee. But, but everybody did not abandon Jesus. Because you find women with Jesus the whole time. You find them at the cross. There's the women. You find them when Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks for his body. 
He, he takes Jesus to a, to a grave that he had, hewn, he had hewn out himself, it says. He was a wealthy man. And they roll the stone back, and it says that Mary Magdalene was leaning up against the stone. They were there. They were there the whole time. They were the first ones at the tomb. You know, the disciples should have been sitting outside the tomb with popcorn and uh, their, their, their uh, iPhones and like, oh man, this is about to get really good. He told us, they're going to kill me, and then three days later, I'm going to rise. I mean, they should have expected it. The women... After he, they took him down from the cross, after they laid him in the tomb, the women, it says, they went home and they prepared spices. The disciples didn't do anything. <laughs> they didn't. So I'm going to talk to the, a couple, to the women a little bit for just a second. There's something about a determined woman, right? I grew up around strong women, so they don't intimidate me. Some men have a hard time with a woman that has an opinion. Men, if that's you, get saved. <laughs> Man, I'm going to be in so much trouble. I'm glad the camera quit working. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'll, that's all I'll say about that. Um, but the women stayed. They, were, they, they showed up early the morning that he rose. What if they hadn't gone? What if they hadn't been there to see Jesus, to, to see the stone rolled away, to see the angels? They persevered, and they stayed faithful even when it didn't look good. And they were rewarded. The first evangelist that said Jesus is alive was a woman. He sent her, go tell my disciples and Peter, because Peter had messed up, right? So moms, sisters, grandmas, stay true. Keep telling them Jesus is risen. Because they might not believe you at first. And they might act like they don't believe you and say it's just why. You read the scripture. It says they thought these were, those were just wives' tales. They thought those were just crazy women is what it says. But then they got curious. And they went and investigated for themselves. Moms, grandmas, sisters, aunts, keep telling them Jesus is risen. Keep preaching Jesus to them because eventually they're going to get curious for themselves. And the scripture says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And once they start to investigate this Jesus, he will reveal himself to them. So persevere, moms, aunts, grandmas, sisters, daughters. Okay, that's my second observation. See, we're already through the first two observations. I want to encourage you. Ladies, there's a place for you in the kingdom of God. A lot of churches don't believe that. But I've read the New Testament. And I know of the six uh, house churches mentioned in the Bible, four of them 
were single women. And two were married women. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. If you want to argue with me after church, we can argue. Not the ladies. I'm not going to argue with the ladies. Just kidding. I'm kidding. Is a joke. Those are my first two observations. Okay. Jesus is alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this, For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus has risen from the dead. Three points. There are a million points. There are millions of things that it means for us that Jesus has risen. I just want to talk to you about three of them this morning. What does it mean that Jesus has risen? Number one, it means that death is not the final word. Death's not the final word. Death is more of a doorway now than a dead end. Because Jesus entered death. You know, God picked a strange way to defeat death. He entered it. Because he knew that we would have to. But he pioneered the way. He went before us and he defeated death. Pastor Walker talked about it uh, Friday night from the inside out. Because that was the only way. But death does not have the final word. It is not the end. We have that hope that all will rise. I see some of you brought some lilies in here this morning. We talked about it last week. I said, if you want to bring a lily in to commemorate someone that you've lost, and there, there are names written on those cards, but the names written on those cards someday will rise just as Christ rose from the dead. Amen. The tomb is empty. Praise God. The grave could not hold him. Praise God. But we still visit graves. Don't we? We still visit tombs. Why is it if he defeated death, why do we still suffer death? You know, this was a problem for the first century church because the Christians didn't believe they would ever die. And then they start dying. But if Jesus defeated death, why do we still have suffering? Why do we still die? Why do we still lose sleep because we miss that loved one lost? Why do some of us weep? Why do some of us have to wait? Why do we have to question? Why do we say sometimes things like, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of us today will have people missing at our Easter dinner that should be there. Some of us lose sleep because of people we've lost. The promise is not that we won't die. The promise is that because he rose, we will rise. Amen? The promise is even though suffering and death are still allowed to speak. And they do. They are allowed to speak still. But they don't get the last word. They don't get the last word. They're allowed to speak for now, but when Jesus comes, 
and makes all things right. And he will. And he's going to. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then if some of us are fortunate enough to still be alive, we get to see that. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up into that whole process and forever we will be with the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the promise. The promise isn't that we won't suffer. The promise is that we won't die someday. The promise is that as he was resurrected, we will be resurrected. Amen. That's the promise. Just as our Savior rose, we will rise. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Then it will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15, 54, and 55. When, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that's written will, be, will come true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. For Jesus, God has already done everything he's going to do, but he hasn't done it all for us yet. We're waiting, right? We're waiting for that. He has started the good work in us, but he hasn't completed it to its perfection. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's, I'm already through my first point. You're doing good. My second point that is, if Jesus rose from the dead, then we have forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. It is central to our Christian faith that Jesus rose from the dead. You'll have a lot of people that believe in the historical Jesus, that the historical Jesus, the one who went to the cross, and that he did die. History tells us that that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. And most people will not dispute you on that. But central to your Christian faith is that he rose from the dead. Amen? Because if he didn't, we're wasting our time. If If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, go follow your own moral compass. Do the best you can. To get through life. But he did. And he showed us a way. Amen? Amen. If Jesus rose, then we get forgiveness for our sins. I was thinking about Peter this, this, uh, this last week. And many of us are like Peter. We speak before we think. We speak and act before we think and then have to go back and get corrected. Right? And I wish I was just talking about kids. But we do that, right? We say things, hey, this is a good idea. We pull a sword and chop somebody's ear off. That's a good idea. That'll advance the kingdom. We laugh, but some of us, we don't use swords. We just use 
our tongue, you know, the fire that is in our mouth that no man can tame. You know, there's a reason James said, let your words be few. We don't use swords, we use our, our mouth to cut people down and chop them off of the knees and chop their ears off. And then Jesus has to remind us, if you want to live that way, you're going to die that way. Peter, though, is always the first to speak. I mean, just moments before, he pulls Jesus aside and says, even if all these other sorry guys around here betray you and leave you, I will never. I am ready to die for you. He says it. We don't even get a chapter later. And he's like, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times. He starts swearing. He has to have his mouth censored. It's bleeped out. The Bible rating went from G to PG-13 in those chapters. But Peter sins. And then the cock crows, and I've used this illustration before, but don't you bet that every time Peter heard a rooster from then on, every rooster, don't you bet he would, he would sleep in with pillows over his head so he wouldn't hear the roosters? Because every time he'd hear that rooster, you know, I read recently that they believe that um, in the first century when Peter would preach, that hecklers would sit out in the audience and cock a doodle doo. To remind him of his sin. We all have roosters that remind us of our sin. Sometimes we're the rooster to somebody else. Sometimes we're the rooster cock-a-doodle-dooing in somebody's ear. Well, you don't you remember you did this to me? Or I'd come, I'd come visit you in the hospital, but we had words, or I'd go do this, or... I mean, we laugh, but it's, we do, people do stuff like that. We constantly remind one another of our, of, of our sin. Or we let, we let things and circumstances remind us of our sin. Because Jesus rose from the dead, there's forgiveness. Peter sinned and messed up. But when, he, but when, he, when Jesus rises, he tells Mary, go tell the disciples and make sure Peter gets to hear this too, that I'm risen. I know he, and Peter, and Peter, Peter heard, I know you messed up, but Peter, I still have a place for you. And you might feel like you've messed up or you've gone too far or you've done too much or God could never love you, but you haven't. There's still a place for you. Amen. There's forgiveness for sins. Don't let the roosters get you down and don't be a rooster to somebody else. Amen. Amen. Every time Peter, Peter probably never ate chicken again, never. We laugh. Peter's going to have probably words with me when I get to heaven. Because I use him a lot as examples. 
But aren't you glad the Bible gives us flawed people? You know, I've said this a million times, but why does God use imperfect people? Because that's all he has to work with. We are all imperfect. Follow me around long enough, you'll see plenty of imperfections. Amen? We're all imperfect, but God still chooses to use us. Even though we have sinned, he still chooses to use us. And if God can use me, and if God can use Peter, God can use you. And God has a plan for you. And because Jesus rose from the dead, there's forgiveness for you. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. Amen? Amen. But we have to stop trying to free ourselves of the chains that bind us. You ever watch live PD? What happens? They put, them, put, them in the, put guys in the cuffs, and they start squirming, and they're like, oh, it's too tight. The more we squirm and try to get out ourselves, the tighter the cuffs get. The same is true with the shackles of sin. When we try to get out on our own, oh God, I got this. I know you made the ultimate sacrifice for me and as soon as I can get out of these handcuffs, I'm coming to church. As soon as I can get rid of this, I'm coming to church. As soon as I can get free from this, I'm gonna turn my life over to you, but I've gotta free myself of this. Stop it, you can't. Jesus is the only one that can free you. You're no match for the enemy. You're no match for the powers of sin. Jesus is the only one that can free you. And because he rose from the dead, we have forgiveness of sins. And there's hope for you. He forgives, he rescues, he sets you free, he delivers you from bondage. Because of the resurrection, you, we have freedom from sin. We are no longer enslaved to it. If you missed um, our first uh, Friday, Good Friday service, Pastor Walker talked about how that Jesus destroyed sin, shattered it into a million pieces. We have to let him do that in us. Amen. Amen. All right, there's my first two points. Man, (laughs) you guys are doing so good. We've almost made it to the end. The end is in sight. In the resurrection, third thing, we see that heaven is a physical place. Jesus appears to them in physical form. He shows up in Luke 24, 36 through 43. They're sitting around talking. They're like, oh, the women came back with these report, and those two on the road to Emmaus, they saw him, and then all of a sudden Jesus is there. And they supposed him to be a ghost. <laughs> Again, come on. Come on, you guys. And Jesus said, does a ghost have flesh and bones? Then he said, do you got any fish? I'm hungry. Jesus, in his resurrected body, was a man. He was still a man. And this blows my mind. Now, in the triune Godhead, there is representation, humankind is represented. There's representation of mankind in the Godhead, in Jesus Christ. He said to Thomas, look, look at my scars. Put your hand in my side. Jesus still bears his scars. I've said this before, but the only man-made thing in heaven right now are the scars of Jesus. 
That's our only contribution to heaven. The only man-made thing in heaven are the scars that we inflicted on Jesus. And he still bears his scars. And he wasn't ashamed of his scars. He said, look. Because he knows that we're going to live scarred lives. Some of us carry scars. Some of you carry scars. Jesus knows. Jesus knows what it's like to carry scars. And he's not ashamed of his. He's not ashamed of yours. He's not ashamed of you. Jesus still carries his scars, even in his glorified body. Now, he could still walk through doors. He would disappeared and would appear, but he still has a body. You know, we always talk about how we're going in the sweet by and by. We're going off away into a cloud, the sweet by and by. Your heavenly home right now has a GPS location. Heaven's coming down. Heaven's coming down. Behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down from heaven. The new Jerusalem is not going to be way up there. It's going to be on earth. It's a fi- heaven's a physical place where we will live forever and ever and rule and reign with Christ. And there will be no need of sun. There will be no wars. The lamb and the lion will lie down together. You won't have to go to the zoo to see cool animals. You can just walk out. That is, if humankind doesn't destroy them all first. Don't get me started on that. We won't go there. We need to take care of our eternal home. Yes, absent from the body, present with God. Those who have died, they are with Jesus right now. But the Bible tells us, when you read it to the end, that heaven's coming down. Heaven isn't too far away. (laughs) People my age got that. Young people are like, it's like the worst song ever. Heaven's a physical place that we're going to. Jesus has a body. We're going to have a body. We're going to be known as we're known. I've I've talked to people before, like, I just don't want to sit around all the time and play a harp. No. (laughs) It's going to be life without pain. Life without death. Life without suffering. Where we serve Jesus Christ forever and ever. And he rules and reigns. But it's not going to be like living under, like Pastor Walker talked about. He's a different kind of king. He's not like Henry VIII. Or Herod. Or Pilate. Or Caesar. He's a different kind of king. A different kind of kingdom. Amen. Heaven's a physical place. Jesus Jesus' resurrection lets us know that. Amen? Jesus still carries the scars. The scars that we gave him. You know, and I already mentioned it. We, some of us, have scars. 
We've been hurt. In Jesus, we have someone who says, I know how that feels. If you've been betrayed by a friend in Jesus, you have someone who says, I know how that feels. If you've been abandoned by family, if you've been lied about, cheated on, left alone, he understands. He looks at the very ones who are hurting him, who are giving him scars that he will carry for all eternity. Think about that for a second. They are giving Jesus scars and wounds that he will carry forever. My daughter Hannah hasn't forgiven me for stepping on her shoes three weeks ago. (laughs) Because they were white. (laughs) And brand new. Don't leave them sticking outside of the booth. At Cheddar's, that's all I'm going to say. She has forgiven me. I'm just using that as an example. She just hasn't spoken to me. But But they are inflicting pain upon Jesus, giving him scars he will carry for eternity. And he looks at them and has compassion on them. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I was reading... The story about uh, Stephen, you remember Stephen in Acts, the seventh chapter. I was reading that a couple weeks ago, and I was actually preaching about it. And while I'm preaching about it, it hits me at the end where it says, it's talking about Stephen. It says, and Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, looked up and saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And then he looked at those that were murdering him and said, don't hold this against them. And it just hit me to be full of the Holy Ghost We're a Pentecostal church, right? To be full of the Holy Spirit and to see Jesus rightly is to look at people who are hurting you and say, forgive them. How do I I know if I have the Holy Ghost? Well, certain churches have different tests. If you want to know this church's test, I'll tell you after service. But if you want to know Acts the seventh chapter, how do I know if I have the Holy Ghost? Can I look at people who are hurting me and say, God, don't hold this against them. And under that standard, none of us have it. So keep seeking. Keep asking. Oh, but in 1974, I chattered in tongues for 4.7 seconds. But I haven't spoken to half my family for 16 years, but okay. Well, then that wasn't real. (laughs) Okay. This is not in my notes, by the way. (laughs) You want to know if you're full of the Holy Ghost and the love of Jesus? If you're seeing Jesus rightly as he is at the right hand of the Father, how do you treat your enemies? Uh Jesus said it himself, anybody can love those who love them. That's easy. Those are the words of Jesus. That's easy. Anybody can do it. Don't, Don't go to heaven bragging, hey, Lord, did you see how I was cordial with my neighbor? He mowed my grass once, I mowed his, we're even. How did you treat the guy who lit a paper sack on fire and set it on your front porch and rang the doorbell and ran off on Halloween? (laughs) I don't know if that's happened to you or not, but... It's not just how we treat our neighbor. It's how we treat our enemy. And that's the tough one. That's what separated Jesus from everybody else. That's what separates Jesus from everybody else. And guess what? That's what separates Christians too. Some of your Facebook 
need to get saved. Some of your phones need to come to the altar today. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. What were we talking about? Heaven's a physical place. All right. So we've made it all the way to the conclusion. I don't, know what, I don't even know what time it is. I shouldn't even look. Oh, yeah, it's conclusion time. Isn't God good? Matthew 26, 26. It says that while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Take and eat. Take and eat. This is not the first time this phrase shows up in scripture. Genesis chapter 3. The woman saw that the fruit was good to eat. And so she took and ate. And she enacted sin upon the world. Adam and Eve brought sin into the world because they took and ate. And now we have Jesus about to make the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And he's about to turn it all on its head. And he, and he says, take and eat my body. Take and eat the cup. What Adam and Eve did, they did out of rebellion. When we take and eat, we do it out of obedience. Rebellion brought sin into the world. Obedience brings justice into the world. It will make things right. Jesus was making things right. Jesus was saying, devil, you got, us, you got them with take and eat. I'm getting them back with take and eat. We take communion every week at the River Church. Aren't you afraid it's going to get old? You know, it'll get too familiar. Like if my child tells me they love me too much, I'm going to be like, you know what? Mm. It's losing its meaning. Why don't you not tell me that for a while so that it means more next time? Oh, we laugh, but... People say, oh, we don't do communion very often around here because we don't want it to lose its meaning. And that's okay if you don't want to do it every week. I mean, it is the only thing Jesus told us to do when we get together. He did not tell us to sing. He didn't tell us to preach. He didn't tell us to take an offering. But we have no problem with that. He said, do this in remembrance of me and my death. Do this. Remember me. It's the only thing he told us to do. And it's the one thing we say, well, we don't want to do it too much. We don't want to weird people out. Well, it's too late for that. <laughs> Amen? We take out of obedience. Because we believe that there is something in that. There is a presence of God in the bread. What did, what, did, what did the two disciples on the road to Emmaus say? They, they said they came back and they said, he was made known to us in the breaking of the bread. That's when we knew it was Jesus. There was a presence that comes with, with following this institution that Jesus gave us. Amen? So we're going to take communion this morning. 
You might be thinking, well, I don't know how you do communion at your church, but I'm not going to take, and that's fine. You don't have to. You might think I'm too sinful, I'm too bad, I'm too far gone. Well, you're not. Jesus offers his blood and his body for you today. Think about the Last Supper. He was surrounded by people he knew that would leave. He knows Peter is about to make him a great promise and then break that promise. He knows Thomas is going to have doubts. He knows all their faults. He knows all their failures. He knows that they're all going to leave. He knows their failures past, present, and yet to come. Well, you might think to yourself, yeah, but you don't know how bad I've been. It doesn't matter. I heard a sermon one time, and the guy said he was talking to God, saying, oh, God, I've been so miserable. And God said to him, you don't even know how, half of how bad you've been. You don't even know the times you thought you were doing right, but you were actually sinning. You don't, and, 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 and God said to him, and I know all the times you're going to sin from here on out, but I'm still calling you. And I'm still asking you. And I'm still serving you. Jesus went around and washed all of their feet, knowing all that about them. And then he offered them the Last Supper. Then he offered them communion. And he offers it to you. Luke twenty-two nineteen 19-21 says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me on the table. And Jesus still offered the cup. And he still offered the bread. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't, I don't know your story. But Jesus does. And he's today offering you his body and his blood. Accept it. We make this a lot more difficult than it needs to be. Accept it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Jesus never led anybody in a sinner's prayer. He said, drop everything and follow me. And that's what we preach. Lose your will in him. Because if you lose your life, you'll find it. So Jesus offers the communion to Judas. Judas goes. He gets the money that he's been promised. He gets his 30 pieces of silver. He comes back with the band of soldiers and the guards. He comes up and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus' words to him in Matthew 26, 50, our friend, where have you been? His words to you are, friend, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how bad you've been, no matter, friend, where are you coming from? He's here for you. He's here for you.